Good morning. Good morning, Rabotai. Welcome back to Breakfast in the Class. <clears throat> breakfast in the Class today, and the learning for this week is dedicated by the Torah Center Diamond Donors, Mer- the Merciano family in loving memory, Luna Shmat, Salman Merciano's mother, Felicia Bat Miriam Merciano. Lea Shalom. Also dedicated in loving memory, Luna Shmat, Sadok Ben Shalom, Alava Shalom, on his Askara, sponsored by his daughter, Efrat Yaish. Um, the week of breakfast in the class is dedicated in loving memory of Reuven Ben Lina, Randy Zablo, of foremost caterers, who dedicated his life to serving the Jewish community near and far. His smile and love for our community will never be forgotten. <clears throat> I remember dealing with Randy for the daughter of, uh, for my, uh, the wedding of my daughter, actually. Uh, and he was uh, very, very generous and, uh, and very, very uh, kind in the way that he dealt with us. So uh, we will truly miss him. Also, Aaron Ben Rachel, Alava Shalom whose soul was too pure for this world. May he watch over his family from Gan Eden and be a melitz yosher for uh, him, his family and the entire Am Yisrael. Um, seeing how the family uh, has the entire community turned out to the Shiva to be there for them, you know, uh, what a testament and paid a testimony to, to the amazing relationships that uh, the Sutton family have uh, with the entire community, parents and children, uh, how much everybody loves them. <clears throat> we are here with you during this difficult time. My friends, of course, also dedicated for Shimon, Ben Mazal Fortune, and Khalamatsanafega. We want to wish Mazal Tov and Mabruk to the uh, to the Fuzailov and Atias families on the Brit Milah of their son Akiva Yehuda. Um, uh, the Brit Milah happened on Shabbat, and as well <clears throat> to the Doer and Dishi families. <clears throat> on the naming of their baby girl, Maya um, Rachel, Mazal Tov and congratulations uh, on this uh, magnificent occasion. Uh, it should bring simcha to both of your families and both of your homes. Let us begin. The Pasuk tells us, in the beginning of our parasha, Zayitenu. Please only say Amen if you're hearing this bracha live. Baruch Atah Adonai. Elohim Elech Adam. Yabaro. This they should give. Anyone that goes past the pikudim, past the uh, the ones that are counting, they give half a shekel, in the in the weight of a holy shekel. The rich person shouldn't give more. The adal loyamit. And the person who's poor <clears throat> should not give less than half a shekel. Okay? Now, um, at surface level, what the Pasuk is telling us is very straightforward. Right? When you're giving <clears throat> this half a shekel, it was being given toward, to make to be a, a, a donation uh, to uh, the, the Beta Mikdash. And we explained already some of, the, of what the Mahatita Shekel was used for. But the primary purpose was Kitisa at Bnei Israel when you're counting the Jewish people, correct? So although the destination of the money had multiple purposes, as we explained, it could be for the Adanim, it could be for the Korbanot, etc. But the purpose of the counting, or the purpose of the Shekel was for what? For counting. So the Pasu comes along and says, listen, if you're rich, don't give five Shekel. Don't give more. 
And if you're poor, don't give a quarter of a shekel. Now, I don't know if this is obvious to you, but is that not obvious enough that it does not bear stating? We're trying to count Jews. You know how we're counting them? Because everyone puts a half shekel in the pot. What happens if a rich guy puts in five? We count wrong. <laughs> what happens if a poor guy puts in a quarter? We count wrong. It should be so obvious that the purpose here of Kitisa at B'nai Israel, when you count the Jews, this is how you count them. It should be obvious that a rich person doesn't give more and a poor person doesn't give less. It does not need to be stated. So it is clear and it is obvious <clears throat> that the purpose of this pasuk is not only to tell you that law. It's here to tell you something maybe a little bit more, um, let's call it less practical <clears throat> than you might have thought. And the Chachamim bring many different ideas for this concept. That when Am Yisrael is together, it's important that they realize that every person, every person on this earth does not constitute an entire shekel, but every person on this earth constitu constitutes only a half of a shekel. That without somebody else, there is no perfection and there is no whole in a person without someone else. It might be expressed and explained by a spouse, a husband and a wife, or a wife and a husband. But it might also be expressed in other ways. A person might have a cause for living. A fullness in their life by having a brother or a sister that they're close with. That fullness in life might be expressed because the person has a love for, a care for, their parent, a child in this world. It might be someone more vulnerable than yourself. But what the Pasuk is clearly telling us is that a person who lives for themselves never gets to be more than half of a human being. We've discussed this many times, the Beracha says in Borei Nefashot, Borei Nefashot Rabot V'chesronan. God created so many different souls. V'chesronan. Literally translated, it means, and God created, the things that they lack. So as an example, Hashem created me, and He created coffee. Right? Is that clear? Right? The, the person, you, who you are, and the thing that you're missing. Why? He made that in order that you should be able to be, uh, to have life in your life. Right? Because if you have the food that you need, if you have the protection, the shelter, the whatever it is that you might need, if you have it, then you feel alive. You don't have it. You don't feel, you don't feel that sense, that power, that life force in your life. However, a beautiful pshat in those words is read a little bit different, like Tosafot. God created many souls, and that which they lack. He created... Just like he created the people, he created the deficiencies. When he made you as important as making you, and making the things that you have, it was important to God to create the things you don't have. 
So think of something you don't have. Not only did Hashem make you and all the things you have, He made you not have this. He made you need something. Why? Because the person that would then fill that need, that would fulfill that lack in you, that makes them come alive. If your wife needs you and you're there for her, if your parent needs you and you're there for, for them, if your brother, your sister, your friend, a poor person, a person who's challenged, a person who has an issue, needs you and you're there for them, that makes your soul, your life force, come alive. And so long as we live in isolation, by ourselves, for ourselves, a person can never be fully expressed. So every person in this world has to understand that they are fundamentally, fundamentally, half of a shekel. <clears throat> Therefore the Pasuk says, Don't think because you have a lot of things, that makes you complete. A person might have very little things, yeah? And he still has as much as you. He's still as valuable as you. He's still as respectable as you. That's the first lesson of these words of But my friends, <clears throat> I thought maybe there's another understanding lurking beneath the lines over here in these words. You know, <clears throat> one of the hardest things for a human being to give up is control. And I'll tell you, there's a lot of reasons why, psychologically, it's difficult for people to not be in control. And everyone here could think of different ways in which that manifests. So sometimes, that's a person who always has to be right. They always have, things have to go their way. If it's not their way, the highway. They're throwing a fit, they're yelling, they're screaming. We all know people like that. That's one element of this idea. That things have to be, I have to decide. But sometimes people don't realize that because someone is a little bit of a control freak or a lot of bit of a control freak, it doesn't mean that they're a megalomaniac, that they're a narcissist. Sometimes there are some people who don't feel safe unless they can control the outcome. People like that sometimes find it very difficult in, uh, in dating. Because you're allowing someone in your life, and although you can make all the decisions for yourself, it's very hard to have someone else who makes their own decisions. And their own decisions actually imp impact you and your decisions. It's very hard for people. So a lot of times what happens is, they kind of play very nice in the beginning. They want to kind of get a read on the person. And then they slowly start to exercise as much control over the person as they can. And they don't mean to do it in a nasty way. They just don't know how to live in a world where they can't control outcomes. 
But the Torah is teaching us something over here that's very deep. A human being can never control the outcomes. A doctor can't tell you how long you're going to live. And when they do, how often are they wrong? A person can't tell you that your business is going to fail. How often is the market wrong? You can't control the outcomes. We can tell you probabilities. We can tell you based on past results, this is what we think will be. But there are always the outliers. There are always the people that defy the odds. And the interesting thing is that oftentimes when you see someone that shouldn't have succeeded, it's not because they're all that smart. And it's not because they did something that was a brilliant business decision. I remember uh, reading uh, last week something very interesting. There was a fellow who came to the rabbi and he was bragging to the rabbi about what a savvy businessman he was. Why? Because there was a fire spreading through his town and houses were being burned one after the next and businesses. Anyway, this wealthy man comes to him and says, listen, the fire is spreading through your town. I'll buy your business. I'll buy your house off of you for 50% of the value. Guy says, no. Now it's already on the fires on his block. The guy says, listen, the odds of this, of your business, your fire not burning to the ground. Let me help you. I'm, I'm offering to help you. I'll give you 25% of the value of the house. Guy says, no. The fire is now, uh, uh, his wall of his house is burning. He says, at least get something before it's nothing. Take 10%. Guy says, no. Unbelievable. They put the fire out. Comes to the rabbi and he says, Rabbi, you know, you see. You see how smart I am. I knew to, set, to hold on. I knew. Held on. They put out the fire. Look, you see. You know how, poor, you know how much I would have lost? That's because I have business sense. Rabbi says to him, you're a dib. If you'd have come to me and asked me when he offered you 50%, I would have told you to sell it for 50%. If you'd have come to me again after not listening to me and tell me he offered you 25, I would have told you to sell it for 25. And if you'd come to me a third time after not listening to me twice, I would have advised you to take the 10%. The fact that your business was saved was not, it wasn't something that was logical. There's no other house. They're not getting this under control. It happens to be that God wanted to give you Parnassah. It happens to be that God wanted to save you. But don't think that that's because you're such a genius. What you did made no sense. How many times do you see that? You have a guy, hold on to the business. And the, it's tanking. And later on, the guy sits around. After his business gets turned around, he saved it. And everyone, everyone's like, wow, genius. The guy sits there with his uh, whiskey. L'chaim, <laughs> you know, salut. That doesn't make you smart. Could have went either way. What would have happened if you were penniless? We'd all be laughing at you. Because everyone told you a hundred times to sell. What the outcome does not indicate that the choices you made were smart. So many times. It works both ways, by the way. 
My friends, what the Pasuk is communicating over here, and I think that this is so powerful. Zeitenu. This is what they should give. All those that pass by the counters. What we're describing here is not only a counting process that happens in this world. We're describing a counting process that takes place in the world to come. We say in the Tefillah and Yamim Noraim, Milo Nifkad, who is not counted? Who is not remembered on this day? On the, on the holiday of Rosh Hashanah, what do we read? Vashem Pakad et Sarah. Does that mean that Hashem counted Sarah? He remembered her. So why do we use the same word for remembering and counting? Right? How come it's the same word? The answer is because when God is remembering someone, what does that mean de facto? It means he's counting. He's looking to see what were your deeds? What were your intentions? What did you try to do? Do you deserve Hashem's mercy? So the word milo nifkad kayom means who is not remembered on this day? Whose deeds are not counted on this day? And only God is capable not just of counting your deeds but of counting your thoughts of counting your intentions in a human court of law, it doesn't matter that you meant. Listen, I'm so sorry. I only meant to help. A court of law does not care. Human beings don't care. But God, God cares. So my friends, says the pasuk, ki tisa. The word tisa means, like we said, when you count. But it also means to be lifted. Ki tisa, when someone gets lifted when they're brought in the heavenly court. And that doesn't only happen when you die. When a person's being judged, that happens all the time, specifically on Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur. But a person also can find themselves being judged throughout the year as well. Especially when they're in a seminal, a life-changing time. They're deciding what the fate of this person is going to be. When you're lifted up, and they're counting, and they're looking... What are they looking for? They're looking to see, did you give your half a shekel? How many times does a person say, I'm not going to start the race because I can't finish it? How many times does a person say, I don't know if I go to the class, if I'm going to understand it. I might not get it all. Ashir lo lo yamit. When a good deed comes your way, there's nothing that should be below you. But conversely, there's nothing that should be above you. HaKadosh Baruch Hu wants to see that you put in your peace. Even if your peace was not enough. Rabbi Ruven Elbaz is an amazing person. He has a network of yeshivot in Eretz Israel called Or Haim. What he does over there is unbelievable. I had the privilege of praying with him for many years on the high holidays in Eretz Israel when I lived there uh, as a bachur and also as a married man. And there's nothing like pr- praying in Orachayim. 
Everyone needs to go experience it. You might have seen, or you might have heard, they used to do the silichot on, on, uh, via satellite, where you could tune in. You could go to silichot with 2,000 people. And you hear them screaming the words, singing the words with such energy and passion. It's unreal. I would go to the Yom Kippur, they would start 5 a.m. Okay, and they would finish at 12. So you'd see the people leaving shul who went to the 8 o'clock minyan, you know, and you're leaving at the same time, you left at 5 o'clock. I loved, I, I loved praying there. So special. Anyway, like any other place, they sell the aliyot. So it came time for one of the aliyot. I think it was Pticha uh, of Neila. And the rabbi said, genius, by the way. I, I couldn't stop laughing when I uh, did a little scan of the room. How much are they going to sell Peticha for? 5,000. Shekel. Okay. You know, Bizor. 6,000 Shekel. What are they going to get for that in Israel? The rabbi stands up and he says, Rabotai, we want everyone to join to be part of Petichav Ne'ilah. So can I ask, is everyone here willing to give 18 shekel and that will be part of Petichah? And someone, maybe myself or one of the rabbis, will open the ark on behalf of all of us. We'll buy it as an LLC. Okay? Class action, not lawsuit. Class action purchase. You ready to do it? Crowdfunding. Raise your hand if you're in. Everyone, 18 shekels, what's 18 shekels? How many people are praying there? 2,000 people. How about 18 shekels times 2,000 people? 36,000. The guy just went from 6K to 36K. And you know what the funny thing is? The 6K guy feels like he did you the biggest favor in the world. The 18, guy, the 18 shekel guy feels like you did him the biggest favor in the world. So the rabbi is a genius. And everyone, it was a great idea. Uh, we've done it here once, and, uh, and everyone enjoyed, everyone enjoyed, but that was not my idea. My friends, that moment is a microcosm of Am Yisrael. You might have this guy out there who's capable of doing the 6,000 shekel. You might have that rabbi you might have that tzaddik who's capable of doing some great thing. But you know what's 10 times, 100 times, a million times better than this guy doing his thing or that girl doing their thing? is all of us doing something. When Am Yisrael comes together to do something small, the money that's flooded to Israel over this process, you know why it's so much? Because it wasn't only the billionaires, all, however many of them there are, that gave whatever they gave at some fancy dinner. It was every kid, and every mother, and every father. I remember when I spoke about it, and I gave the example of my friend in England who canceled his uh, sports channel so he could give a few more dollars. A few more pounds. I mentioned the example in the class. And someone messaged me at the time. And they said, Rabbi, you know I was inspired by what you said about the canceling of the cable. And I looked around to see 
What could I do? What could I do? That would, uh, I don't have extra money lying around. What could I do? What could I give up to be able to help Am Yisrael in this hour of need? In the worst situation we've had since the Shoah. And what did she do? She went to the store and she bought a bottle of Taster's Choice coffee. And she decided that for this whole uh, month, year, I forget, she's giving up Starbucks coffee. Every day on the way to work, she used to go to Starbucks. How much does it cost for a cup of coffee in Starbucks? Simplest coffee is $3, $4. The fancier coffee is $5, $6, right? I think the drip one is cheaper, right? If you get the drip one, I think it's a little cheaper. But how much is it if you buy a bottle of Taster's Choice? And you make it in your own house. Much less. 50 cents? She could, she could scratch off of her budget $3 a day. So she donated all that money. It's not a lot of money. But a lot of people giving up a lot of cups of coffee. A lot of people deciding that this year, that this month, they're not going to buy that extra pair of sneakers. A fellow that I know uh, who was flying to Israel, first class, canceled his ticket, flew economy, gave that money to Sedaka. I asked him, I said, if you're flying first class, you have money to give. Why do you have to cancel the ticket? He said, Rabbi, I didn't only love what you said about giving money to Sedaka. I love the idea that you're giving up something to give money to Sedaka. And sure, I didn't have to, but I wanted to. That's a half a shekel. It's not solving the problem. Right? Hamas didn't go away because someone gave up their coffee. You're not controlling the outcome. There's no shlemut here. There's no full shekel. But we learn from here this, this concept that a person needs to try. That a person needs to do their bit. That a person needs to push something in. Are you in? Hineni. I'm in. To me, I feel like that says everything. Now you have communities where there's people who are movers and shakers. What does everybody else do? They rely on them. Haron does great things for the community. He takes care of this, he takes care of that. So we're going to rely on Haron. He'll do it. He takes care of it. Something needs to be done, go to him. Who said now, again, there's so many different jobs. Someone should come and say to Haron, I want to help. I can't do your job. I want to do something. He's not always able to be upstairs and downstairs at the same time. So there's people in the shul that help him on Shabbat. They listen to the aliyot. They run the system. They put the donations into this. They're not, they're not employees of the shul. But they want to do something. Rabbi, Security in the synagogue, it's a challenge. You have people out there, the guards, they're doing their best. They don't know everybody. I know people, I could stand outside for half an hour on Shabbat morning and be a volunteer for security. It's something, you're giving something. And by the way, it's not a donation. It's something that's a little bit of a pain in the neck for you to do. But you know what? That's, that's the chatzi shekel. 
I noticed on, uh, on Shabbat a few weeks ago, you know, after the first minyan is over, immediately the main minyan comes upstairs. So what are they walking into? They're walking into a synagogue with talitot everywhere. Who wants to walk into a shul? It's a mess. So as quickly as they can, the people are taking the talitot, but... So Haron made an announcement. And he said, please take your talitot downstairs so they can fold them. But they walk into a shul, it doesn't look like a mess. Put your books back. Also, you don't want the staff to be walking around the shul while they're starting to pray. So some people listen, some people didn't listen. Haron, to be honest, some people didn't hear. We need to, we need to get you a megaphone, really. We need to get you to speak very loud. Right? But I saw one guy walking around the benches, picking up all the talitot of everybody else that didn't listen. That's special. After the class yesterday, we had to move the class from here, upstairs, lastminute.com. Because there were so many people when I got here, I couldn't get into my own class. Sitting, people standing, people on the stairs, it was nuts. So we had to move everybody upstairs. Everybody upstairs, the men, uh, the men's section, the ladies' section. There's no one like, there's no one like Am Yisrael. There's no one like this community. I get emotional when I think about it. But what does that mean? I don't know if you know what happens in this room. The room is filled with chairs, front to back. They have to turn this room over for Sivudah Shalishit. If you're running upstairs to Mincha, like I, I'm trying to, Nathan Lowe is my bodyguard to get me out, right? <clears throat> Fine. But if you're not going for Mincha, you're going to leave. Or uh, you, you, maybe you're going to hang out and schmooze in the lobby. They need to take 200 chairs in here, move them around, unfold tables, just to offer, to help. That's chatzi shekeh. You're not going to become the cleaners of this shul. You're not going to solve the problems. But you move two chairs. And if 200 people move two chairs, you know how long it takes to clean up this room? One minute. Like my father always used to say, if mommy cleans up the table, how long does it take her? If everyone here takes their plate and one dish in, then the table is cleared and cleaned in one go. We had a big family. That's chatzis sheker. Hashem should bless us, Be'ezrat Hashem. That when Hashem looks at us at the end of time, they'll see the great things that we did but also the great things that we had a part in doing. And also the great things that we never achieved, but at least tried to throw our hat in the ring. Baruch Amen.